right? You guys have $300 million in assets under management right now, 1,300 units. What do you think was the key for turning the corner between doing a couple of deals and getting to that $300 million in asset under management mark? Between Steve and I, when we first started, we merged with Kyle Mitchell a year later. We were all wearing multiple hats and we had to. That's what got the plane off the ground, right? For Mm -hmm. lack of a better analogy. As we started to grow, though, what really made a huge difference was creating the systems and processes Mm -hmm. and getting the right people in the right role sooner rather than later. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And I always say I'm excited for every show, and it is true, and I'm very, very excited for today's show. We have our first four-time guest on the podcast, so Jenny Gu, welcome. Wow, what an honor. Thank you so much for having me for the fourth time, Brian. For the fourth time, yeah, and just just for the listeners to review, you know, she came on first as, a, as an aspiring investor, and it was very early on in the podcast. We put you with Christine Jefferson, who is awesome, by the way. Um, and then the second one you came on is your first deal episode. You were one of the the first first deal episodes, and then you came full cycle on as you know, kind of the the expert on the Ask the Expert, and and now here we are talking about you know next level stuff. So I'm going to call this an Ask the Expert episode because I got a lot of questions that I want to ask you still. So that's how we're going to do it. Anyway, thank you for coming on for the fourth time. It seems so long ago. I I can't. What was that? The first episode was 2020? 2020. Oh my gosh. That seems like a world. That was PC. That was pre-COVID. It was was post-COVID because I started the podcast right after COVID shut everything down. So, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I don't remember the exact timing. I think you were still working for Johnson and Johnson, getting ready to quit. And it was Johnson and Johnson, right? The other one, it's Procter and Gamble. Procter and Gamble, whatever you know, <laughs> big big company. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Procter, you we work, and I think when when we first talked, you had just gotten your first property under contract. So 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 long ago. Yes, a lot has happened since then for sure. What a whirlwind. Yeah, and incidentally, we brought your husband Ronnie on. Your business partner Kyle's been on before. We haven't got Steve yet, so we just need oh. to get him in. Yeah. Yeah, so. we'll have to get him on. All right. So let's do this. Let's just let's uh, just briefly go over your background. And what I'll do is we're going to link your other uh, appearances in the show notes so that people can go in and get the full spiel on everything else. But let's briefly go over your background and then what you've done lately. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah so in a nutshell, um, you know, like many of your other listeners, I'm sure got the real estate itch earlier on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started our, our portfolio with single family rentals. Both Ronnie and I had, we were working for PNG mm-hmm. at all of our retirement in the company and said, you know what, we just, we have to diversify somewhat. Yep. Uh, so we stumbled upon, you know, real estate, single family, long-term single family rentals first. Mm-hmm. 
accumulated a portfolio of 10 single family homes all in Cincinnati. And then the light bulb went off. We said, Mm -hmm. you know what, there's got to be a a faster, bigger way that we can scale. And that's where we stumbled upon multifamily, right? You know, and that's something that's common of a lot of multifamily investors is they start with single family, they start Mm -hmm. getting a a fair amount of units under their belt. And then it's just like, you know, they scratch their head and they're like, there's got to be an easier way. And uh, so you guys decided multifamily was it. How to go from there? Well, this is where I always say I probably did it backwards. So I don't mm-hmm. advise anybody to do what I did mm-hmm. <laughs> until they think it through. But actually, this was the beginning of 2020. At the end mm-hmm. of 2019, we moved back to California to be mm-hmm. closer to family. Um, come early 2020, right when COVID shut everything down, mm-hmm. um, I quit my job. Mm-hmm. So I left PNG before I even purchased a single multifamily door. Yeah. And this is this is how much we believed in the model. Um, and knew that if we, if one of us was in a hundred percent, we could, we could explode this growth yeah. um, and, and change the needle for the family. And that's what I did. I left, burned the bridges completely, and yeah. then spent all of 2020 learning, finding a partner, a mentor. And then by the end of 2020, did my first two deals as a GP. Wow. So, so you quit, went full-time and like you said, you burned the bridges. You're like, all right, Procter and Gamble, we're done. And, uh, or as my daughter would say, we're done, you're done, you know, but went full time, found yourself a mentor, which I recommend to everybody. I think that's an amazing thing. You find yourself a mentor. You closed two deals your first year. That was 2020. Awesome. Wow. What were the biggest challenges you had? Number one, going full time. And then number two, getting into the new business. When we decided that I would leave, Mm -hmm. I had this very different picture of what my day would be mm-hmm. being a full-time real estate investor. Yeah. Now COVID threw a massive wrench <laughs> into what mm-hmm. that day looked like because now all of a sudden the time I left school shut down, I'm now mm-hmm. home with two kids Oh yeah, right. with a, a pre-kindergarten daughter and a first grade son all mm-hmm. on Zoom. So guess who's the, the parent that's sitting oh, yeah. next to them? <laughs> mm-hmm. So my day was a little bit different. I think the challenges there were just trying to navigate the new world of homeschooling mm-hmm. while trying to jump 110% in and yeah. learn as fast as I could. So that presented its different challenges, good or mm-hmm. bad, but it also forced me to really prioritize. Yeah. Like If I'm going to do this, I need to go find a mentor who's going to help me get to where I need to be that much faster because mm-hmm. of how my current day and nights yeah. are now looking remind me of what happened in our house as well. And I was I was still going to work every day. I mean, when when you work at the Pentagon, active duty military, you don't get, you know, COVID days off. I had a couple of days off a week, but same thing happened in our house. I and mean, my my wife, we started, we took the kids out of the public school to homeschool them because um as my wife says, and I, I tried this once or twice and she's right, it took her more time to make sure the kids were all on Zoom paying attention to their classes than it would just to teach them herself. And so, yeah, that, that's right. There were a lot of challenges there with uh, kids out of school. I've almost forgotten about that. It's like one of those you know, selective amnesia things. Yeah. Like, I don't want to remember 2020. Let's just forget all about it. But uh, something I've noticed in my life is, is the more that I have things packed in, the more efficient I am and actually the more effective I am, I think anyway. You know, other people may say something different about me, but- I think it's true. So yeah, 2020, you closed on two deals. 
Now let's talk about the mentorship thing. You you said you found a mentor. Talk about how you found the mentor and how that progressed. Yeah. So Steve Louie, who is actually now a partner with mm-hmm. Vertical Shoot Ventures, Ronnie actually met with him first at mm-hmm. one of these multifamily meetups. So great place, folks, to find and meet partners and mentors. But it was at one of these meetups. Steve happened to be speaking at that one at that time. Mm-hmm. They met for coffee, built a relationship. And then I just happened to, to meet Steve mm-hmm. um, one or two meetings afterwards. And we just kicked it off. He knew I had just left my job mm-hmm. and actively looking for some, I was like, I will work for anybody for free <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point, just to get my foot in the door and learn. Steve was still working a W-2 job at that time, mm-hmm. extremely busy, but also had a few properties in Arizona that needed you know, some extra eyes and ears on and he recognized my background from corporate America and the, and the skill set that I had. And it was just a win-win. And that's how you find a good mentor. Yeah. So you don't just be a leech, right? For, back, for lack oh, of yeah. a better word. What value can you give to your mentor? Make sure you know that it meets a gap or fills a gap that they might have. And that's where they're more likely to say, hey, you know, that I think this could work. I happen to, I'll say, intern for Steve mm-hmm. or, you know, other folks can pay for a mentorship. And that has been very successful for a lot of people as well. So it just depends on where you are in that spectrum. Yeah. And I, I think that's awesome. I mean, you, you were there, there was a value proposition there and that the value has to go both ways for mentorship programs to work. You had plenty of time. If I remember right, you were doing finance for PNG, right? Sales, close. Sales, sales. Mm -hmm. Was Ronnie doing finance? No, we were both in sales. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. it's it's been way too long since we, we <laughs> got in the weeds down there or but uh, talk about that. But anyway, you you had a, a really great strong career in the corporate world. So I think, you know, what you had to add is a, a big skill set and a lot of time, you know, Steve had the uh, experience and properties mm-hmm. and ended up working out well and now you guys are business partners, which uh is is pretty cool too. So that worked out extremely well. And then you mentioned you either you pay for mentorship or you find a mentor. I was going to go back and say that, you know, when I when I started out, I knew I needed a mentor and I kind of scratched my head and I I I paid for it. And I think that worked extremely well. You know, it was it was basically do I spend the time going out and looking for somebody who will mentor me and then try to find out the right value proposition? I knew that would work. And I in the back of my head, I thought that was probably the better route, but I just opened my checkbook and it was a faster route. So yeah. anyway, that was my, my well, that's, what, that's what you're paying for, right? Yeah. So you, and, and you know what, I ended up joining a paid mentorship as well. I'm a well-known, you know, successful syndicator in the market and you're paying for somebody's years of experience and knowledge. Yeah. And for me too, the networking, you're joining a group of like-minded oh, yeah. individuals with similar goals and Look, there's a lot of programs out there. You know, we've created an academy ourselves because Mm -hmm. there's so much of a need for good mentorship out there. And for a lot of people too, it's just a way of giving back because you would say the same. We wish we learned this Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago and had an earlier start to real estate investing. Yeah. And, you know, the pay to play, that creates the value proposition right there. So let's actually pause from your story and talk about it. I mean, you, you have your mentorship program. I went to your VSVCon I think last April, thought it was absolutely amazing. You guys held it in Scottsdale, knocked the ball out of the park. So let's talk a little about the mentorship program. And then I know we have an upcoming VSVCon this year too. So tell us a little bit about both of those. Yeah. So, you know, Steve and I, we both had a passion to 
give back and help others. You know, one of the, my favorite things working at P&G was managing people, Mm -hmm. you know, success for me was getting them promoted, getting them raises and seeing them succeed. And couple with the fact that, you know, I learned so much from my mentor We wanted to create something that could help people as well. We had a lot of people come and say, hey, guys, you've you've grown so much so quickly. Like, how can you show me how? Teach Mm -hmm. me a couple tricks and tips. And, you know, we said, why don't we just figure out how to make this a little bit more systemic and scalable? Because we honestly, we just didn't have, you know, 100 hours a day. So we created, and that's where the academy was born. We said, okay, how do we come up with something, pull the best pieces from all the programs that we know and we're a part of mash it together so that we're providing as much value as we can. So that's where the Academy came to be. We launched it a year and a Mm -hmm. half ago and it has grown significantly since. So we mentor and coach folks from all over the country, how to find apartment syndication deals from brokers how to raise capital, and then also how to asset manage it after we purchase the property. So that's what the Academy focused on. It's it's been a success. It's been really fulfilling. Awesome. That's the Academy. And now tell us about VSVCon. Yeah. So this was such a an amazing event last year. So it was June, Mm -hmm. actually, Brian. It feels like years ago. Yeah. That's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. (laughs) That's what we remember. It was it was hot by then. It was very hot. Yeah. (laughs) Scottsdale, Arizona. Very hot in June. Yeah. So early June, 2022, we sold out. We had such amazing speakers Mm -hmm. and the intent for that conference was to spread the word about apartment investing. Yeah. Because again, we had a lot of friends and family that said, gosh, I wish we knew sooner or "I, I wish we had more education on it. So the conference sold out. It was over 200 people. We Mm -hmm. planned it in less than like four months. We had Tony Robbins speakers. We had industry experts, Paul Peebles, Michael Becker. We had Hunter Thompson there. We had a bus tour. So we went around to different properties that we we own in the the marketplace and the folks there could see how a business plan comes to life. It was a blast. And and thank you for saying that was a good event because we poured our hearts and soul into it to make sure that Mm -hmm. it was valuable and we got a lot of great feedback from it. So yeah. And I, I think one thing that you guys nailed was the venue, you know, it was big enough, but it was still small and, and personable. You know, it was still, oh, and the food with the catering was great yeah. too. I just, I remember <laughs> that too, but yes, I did, you know, I especially liked the, the fact that you, you brought something for all levels, you know, so there was people at the very lower end of the apartment investing that, that had things geared towards them, but when I go to a lot of the conferences, I spend most of the time in the foyer because I'm like, because I poke my head in, I'm like, okay, I could probably do as good of a job teaching that as this guy. But I was glued to my seat for a good portion of that too. So yeah, I mean, Michael Becker, Paul Peebles, you know, those guys are, you know, monsters. Hunter yeah. Thompson's raised like 70 million, you know, and he was talking, he was talking more about economics. But yeah, I think you guys knocked the ball out of the park on that one. And I'm excited for April this time. Maybe that's why I thought it was April last year because of yeah. April this year. It's going to be bigger and even better this year. So April 28th through 30th in Scottsdale, Arizona, but some huge speakers. We just secured Ken McElroy. So he's coming oh, really? as well. Another Tony Robbins speaker, Siri Lindley, mm-hmm. and then currently one of the most sought after international speaker right now, Damon West is going to be one of our keynotes. So it's going to be exciting. Nice, nice, nice. Well, that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing you there in the Phoenix area in yeah. April. So last yeah. weekend of April. 
for everybody who who wants to get there. All right. So I see a lot of people in syndications, you know, syndic you know, whether whether it's the I came up in the Michael Blanc program, but there's so many different programs that teach people how to syndicate. And I see a lot of people that do one or two properties and people who who say they want to get to that that high level of operations, but don't make it. You guys have $300 million in assets under management right now, 1,300 units. What do you think was the key for turning the corner between doing a couple of deals and getting to that $300 million in asset under management mark? Yeah. And I'll, and I'll preface this by saying we're not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. We're still learning. And as we grow, and I, I almost like to use a phrase, we're flying the plane as mm-hmm. we build it, right? And I feel like a lot of us are these days, but you know, as a startup, I consider us a startup company. We had to go through the early period of one or two or three people wearing multiple hats. Between Steve and I, when we first started, we merged with Kyle Mitchell a year yep. later. We were all wearing multiple hats and we had to. That's what got the plane off the ground, right? For mm-hmm. lack of a better analogy. As we started to grow, though, what really made a huge difference was creating the systems and processes mm-hmm. and getting the right people in the right role sooner rather than later. So we were able to identify, you know, Steve was going to be good at this part of the Mm -hmm. business, myself, Kyle, where did we all play? What were our strengths and what did we enjoy? That is super, super critical. And you have that luxury as you start to grow because you're starting to get a little bit, you get more resources, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But the systems and processes is key. And we're still going through those pain points right now as we continue to expand is God forbid something were to happen. One of us, mm-hmm. do we have everything documented right now? Not everything is documented. So we mm-hmm. are going through that process right now to make sure everything is very clear so that anybody needs to step in, the business keeps humming. So that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think, I think that's where a lot of people stall. I mean, at the very beginning, you're absolutely right. You know, you have one or two or three people that are wearing a lot of different hats each. So you said basically you guys worked a lot on the systems. You guys worked a lot on making things exactly the same every time you do it. And, and something else that you know I'll just bring up that you said was uh, making sure that everybody was in the right seat based on their talents and interests. Tell us why you think that's important. I am a firm believer when you have somebody who realizes what they enjoy doing, mm-hmm. couple that with something they're really good at. That's when magical things happen because I can do 10 different things well, Mm -hmm. but I, if I focus on the two or three that I really excel in and I love doing it, then that's going to drive exponential growth Mm -hmm. versus you spending your time on other things that you're good at. You do well, but you know, if you don't have the passion for it, then it kind of just, it, it gets deprioritized. Mm-hmm. So finding the right people in the right role, like that, that is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the phrase they say, you know, hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. You want to make sure you spend the quality time to find the right person because it actually costs you time and money in the it back does. end. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. And I, I'm just reading a book. Uh, I'm reading the Gina Wickman series, you know, so I, I just finished Traction and I'm mm-hmm. reading the How to Be a Good Boss and they, they focus on that a lot. And it's it yeah. makes perfect sense. You know, he talks about the right person in the right seat. And it sounds like you guys are a really good example of making sure you have the right person in the right seat, you know, doing the right job. So yeah. now as far as hiring, who was your first hire 
What made you guys decide that you needed to hire somebody? Gosh, seems like it was so long ago. When you get bogged down, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a point, I don't know exactly when the, the turning point or the tipping point is, but there's a point where you're like, I need help. Yeah. Gosh, I, I am too in the weeds and I'm working in the business versus on the business and I need help. Mm-hmm. And our first hire, if I remember correctly, was actually a VA. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of administrative tasks, you know, things that just were easy to do, but just took way too much time out of your yep. day. We knew we needed to hire some help. And we thought, you know, like we jumped on the VA bandwagon, like a lot of other folks do. And mm-hmm. we found that that was so much, it was better use of our time when we were able to delegate that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think we started with the VA. And then as we brought in more properties an asset manager was the next. Okay. So you talk about hiring VA first, asset manager second. Looking back at it, do you think that was the right order? Would you would you have done anything differently? You know, in hindsight, I don't think I would have done it differently. I feel like because we, again, we were still wearing multiple hats. We needed to be in the business, so mm-hmm. asset managing for between Kyle and I, we were sharing that responsibility across the portfolio. That made sense. But we brought John, our new asset manager, in mm-hmm. because. We just wanted to make sure that we could focus on higher level things. So still in the weeds, but at the same time, releasing some of that control to a mm-hmm. full-time asset manager allowed us to focus on more NOI generating ideas nice. as well. Nice. Now, as far as the asset manager, I mean, a lot of a lot of people are gonna they're gonna have asset management fees and everything else. When you hired the asset manager, to best of your knowledge, I don't know if you remember this, but did the asset management fees coming off the property pay the salary or did you guys have to you know come out of pocket so to speak on on those right off the bat no it wasn't sufficient to yeah. cover 100% of it but that's the thing one of the key things to scaling and growing is mm-hmm. investing in the right role before yep. the need actually happens because if you wait until you absolutely are desperate for somebody to fill that role that's where hiring the wrong person could yeah. become a reality because you're just looking for a warm body at that point. But we hired for as much as we could, the roles we needed hired ahead of the need mm-hmm. so that when it was truly needed, we had them trained, onboarded, ready yeah. to go. And there isn't going to be a, a lag time but yeah. before they actually ramp up and, and kick butt. So, so when, when they come of- in, they're not already putting out fires, you know, they can come in a little more exactly. gradually, so to speak. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah, and like not hundred percent that's going to happen exactly how you want mm-hmm. it, but for the, for the most part where you can plan. And that's mm-hmm. where having regular budget meetings, having yeah. those financial conversations, hiring. We, every time we meet, we meet every month mm-hmm. for two days as in person if we can, and we map out and talk about what happened the past month, the quarter, and then we map out future needs. And that's on every single agenda, every time we meet. Okay. Now let's talk about juggling a little bit more because you have the coaching program on one side, you know, VSV con on the other side. How do you guys juggle is probably not the right, right word, but I'm still going to use it. How, how do you guys juggle between the two? I mean, how do you, how do you determine whether, where time goes, where focus goes and how do you keep both balls in the air? Yeah. So for, this is how we divide and conquer the mm-hmm. roles today. So Kyle predominantly focus on overseeing acquisitions mm-hmm. and asset management. Mm-hmm. Okay. Steve leads our capital group. So okay. he has built an investor relations team now, and they currently manage current investors and they work to expand that database ongoing. For me, I focus primarily on the academy mm-hmm. 
and our big events like the VSV cons. Okay. Right? And then I work, we tandem with, with Kyle on asset management because through our academy, a, a lot of our students, we call them student deals. We partner mm-hmm. with them on student deals and I help run those. So there's asset management that's tied to that. Mm-hmm. And then we actually have a fourth partner now. His name is Kiyoshi Simon. You met him in June last year. Okay. He's our CFO and also leads our CPA firm as well. Yoshi. Okay. I have to look it up. The name does sound familiar. I'm sure I met him. I'm gonna I'll meet him in April or at least see him in April. For again. sure. So he's our CFO. Okay. Um, and leads the CPA side of the business. All right. So we have a VSV CPA as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That is crucially important. It's something that I don't have a really good background on. And with, with the company I was previously with, none of us did. And it was, it was probably the thing we struggled with the most was, you know, everything financial, you know, we'd get financials from the property management company and, you know, we knew it wasn't right, but we didn't know what right looked like. And I, I think that's, that's huge. So, okay. So go, going back. So four partners now and how many employees? But including the partners yeah. with our new hires, um, we're at 18 okay. total right now. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. does that include the coaches in the coaching program or not? No, that is VSV employed full-time. Okay. VSV uh, full-time. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. That, that's amazing. A lot of growth. Now, looking back at the order that you did any hires in, you know, would, would you do anything differently looking back at it? If there, is there somebody you would have gotten earlier as opposed to, to when you actually did? Yeah. I mean, exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. I 100% would suggest having someone who is solely focused on financials mm-hmm. earlier on, yep. um, not just from a property standpoint. So if you are, you know, if you're a loan syndicator, you, you could do just fine potentially with a bookkeeper, an accountant, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as a third party. Yep. But I say, if you are looking to scale to be a full-fledged private equity firm, mm-hmm. then having somebody on the finance and accounting side, two different components, yeah. right? They're very different um, on the team full-time because you need someone to analyze your company financials mm-hmm. as well. That is super important too. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how everything comes together. I mean, there, there's lots of different revenue sources coming. I mean, each, each one of the properties is a different revenue source mm-hmm. and, you know, knowing what your, how healthy your business is and, and the future is, that's once again, something that, like, like I said, we struggled with. That was something that I think prevented us from scaling was, was not understanding that picture well enough. But uh, I do remember, you know, talking with a, a couple of people who'd been successful in business and they, a lot of them will say the same thing. One of your first hires needs to be that controller or that finance mm-hmm. person that can tell you where money's coming, where money's going and, and whatnot. So anyway, appreciate that. What's next for you guys? Any initiatives you guys are are working on or big plans for the future? Yeah. I mean, our, our goals, we, of course, you know, right now is a kind of wait and see standpoint from an acquisition perspective, just, I think like everybody else is in the same boat, the Academy, we want to continue to grow and help as many people as we can. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking to have new students join, but what we've been really excited about is an initiative and this is a sneak peek, Brian. So we haven't even all right. Pulled very many people at all within the company. We're going to launch this at our offsite next next month. But what we call an initiative called Residence First. Mm-hmm. So today, right, you you and I, and I'm sure a ton of other syndicators do the same thing. We hold uh, resident appreciation events. We want to mm-hmm. make sure our residents feel valued on the property because we know resident turnover is, is one of the highest costs in, yeah. in syndication and, and really just running a real estate business. 
but we want to take this to the next level. And we want to change this industry in terms of how do we just, just from doing appreciation events, how do we impact every experience, every touch point with the residents, Mm -hmm. whether they're a prospective resident, a new resident or a current resident, how do we make sure that every touch point with them is the best experience they can have? Yeah. Um, And that's, an example would be, you know, how do we make these resident appreciation events mm-hmm. bigger and more meaningful? We're going to hire a full-time community relations manager to help us do this. And there's just so many different components to this that I could spend the next hour explaining. Yeah. But really, and then the second component is partnering in the community to potentially even put like a scholarship fund together. So oh, to wow. financially impact our residents is another mm-hmm. component of that. So we're hoping this will revolutionize our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, could we impact the industry so that more people are doing it yeah. and really make the communities better, which is what I think each of us want to do. Yeah. You know, and I, I I think that's that's admirable and that's what people need to do. It's it's interesting, you know, a lot of people have have talked about the importance of it, but in the last three years, I think we've seen a lot of syndicators especially, you know, buy and sell with you know, 12 to 18 month period. So what's your guys' uh, typical hold time or what, what's your plan for for hold times with these properties? And, you know, how do you see that all coming together? Yeah. So when we underwrite, we mm-hmm. underwrite for an assumption of five years, a hold mm-hmm. of five years. Now in the last couple of years, we've been turning those a little bit faster just yep. based on the market conditions. I would say right now, looking forward, we're still assuming five years, mm-hmm. but if it takes longer to stabilize if we believe we want to keep it for you know six seven eight years that's still very very possible mm-hmm. we don't assume anything selling under five years moving well, forward something that I think is a little bit it kind of incentivizes people not to really care about tenants you know when 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 people are just coming in doing a really really quick value add turning around and selling the the tenants kind of get left out because it's like okay we did the value add on the exteriors, you know, we did the value add on the interiors, we've got a new tenant base in, and now we're just going to sell it to the next guy. And that makes it so, first of all, none of the people have even tried to do it recently that I'm aware of. And I think that's, I think you're coming at it from the right angle. You know, it's the the think win-win and you're absolutely right. One of the biggest expenses that you you encounter is the churns. I think we're, we're averaging, depending on which property, you know, $800 to $1,200 you know, per churn every time somebody moves out. And that doesn't even include the, the lost lost revenue that's coming in. So I love how you guys are doing that. Your resident appreciation, you're trying to make them feel like it's a home, make them feel like it's a community. And on the flip side, what you guys get out of it is hopefully more people renew their leases. And you you yeah. avoid that expense. And I'm thinking out loud here. Tell me if you agree, but it's it's really easy to see when you bring rents up. It's really easy to see the impact on your bottom line. I think it might be a little harder to see impact on your bottom line when people don't move out and you're not paying certain expenses. What, what do you think about that? Or do you guys have, have you guys thought about how to track that? You know, that's a good way of looking at it. We've completely changed our mindset mm-hmm. thinking about this residence first um, and. I think the benefits of switching this mindset will show itself over time, yeah. right? So we, we haven't been able to say, hey, this is going to drive X dollars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We are solely focused on just what are the things that we need to do to make this come to life. Yeah. Over time, it's going to yield results, both 
from a resident standpoint, and then of course from an investor standpoint. And I think people forget this is a this is a people first mm-hmm. business. Um, we are directly impacting our residents' lives. And I think with this initiative, it's going to do that. And yeah. we're changing our vision. We're changing our mission statement to reflect this. I mean, we are all all in to make sure this this is elevated and more eyeballs get on it because I yeah. think it's again game changing and everything else will just come. Yeah, and I think it's what I think it's the right thing to do. I think it will, you know. But just kind of you know playing the whole devil's advocate role on that one is how do you make sure it, it hits your bottom line? And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't do it. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, they they pay lip service to it, but when you, when you really look at it, it's it's difficult to tell how much that has affected your bottom line or not. But anyway, I think that's going to be a great initiative. I look forward to hearing all about it and you know seeing the difference you guys made. Maybe maybe you know a year from now on your fifth appearance on the podcast, <laughs> we can talk about that. I was just thinking that too. I'll come back a fifth time and let you know how it's going. Yeah, we'll talk all about resident appreciation. So best of luck on that one. I I'm sure it's going to work out amazingly well. Now I, I guess one thing we we haven't really discussed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, your portfolio, Phoenix and Tucson, are you guys anywhere else besides those two metros? Yes. We have actually one property in Arlington, Texas. We okay. purchased that November 21, so a little over a year. And a lot of people have asked us if we want to expand further. And mm-hmm. I would say yes, if there's the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still focus primarily in Arizona just because there's still so much growth. I'm yeah. sure you've heard the news. All these companies are expanding TSMC is quadrupling their investment in Phoenix, right? A lot of tech companies. So there's still a lot of runway um, in yeah. Phoenix and Tucson. So your, your community management program, from my perspective and, and not knowing exactly what you have planned, it seems like it'd be a lot easier to do that if all of your properties were clustered together. How's that going to work with Arlington? Or And, and if you want to pass on this one and, and come back and talk about it next year, that's fine too. But uh, just, just thinking out loud, do you see a problem with that or how, how are you guys going to work with that? Yeah, I think we'll focus first. So we're hiring somebody full-time, um, jobs posted right now, to have that person be located in Arizona. Okay. 99% of our, our business is there. If we continue to expand um, in Texas, I think we can roll out more resources there. Mm-hmm. But the there's certain components of the program that doesn't need somebody fully dedicated in person in the market. Right. So we'll roll out things to our Texas property. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a natural, easy yeah. thing to do anyways. Once again, thinking out loud, because I didn't mm-hmm. put a whole lot of thought into this one, but you know, it's it's the system systems you guys set up. I mean, if if your community manager starts setting up systems and templates for the events, it should be really easy to to rinse and repeat across the board, regardless of whether they're in Arizona or, or a different market. So yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so, so much for your time today. I just looked at the clock and oh my goodness, we've been talking for a long time already, but uh, appreciate you coming back for your fourth visit on the podcast. And uh, um, last question for you, how can listeners learn more about you? Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can visit our website, verticalstreetventures.com. And then special incentive for your listeners, Brian, Mm -hmm. if any of your listeners want to sign up for VSVCon tickets and get 10% Mm -hmm. off, just put in the code Brian and they'll be able to get that. 
I love that code. Yeah. Code Brian for VSVCon tickets. So, and make sure we have a link to that so I can put that in the show notes as well. So, and before I knew about that 10% off, I already endorsed it, said it. I don't remember if I said it on the air or not, but I told you before that that was my favorite conference of, of 2022. Well, it was VSVCon by far. So if you if you have the, the weekend available, it's the last weekend of April. Uh, looks like 28th, 29th, and 30th, VSVCon, Scottsdale, Arizona. Be there. So awesome. Well, thank you again, Jenny. Appreciate your time. And uh, let's do this again. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.